Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about alcohol and sex. So um, you guys are in for a treat. So this might be a funny episode. Um, It's going to be serious and scientific. And I'm also going to talk about my own experiences with drunk sex. So if that is something you don't want to know about, then you should probably 
not listen to the end of this episode or skip the episode entirely. So you have been warned. So when I started researching this topic, um, at first I wanted to talk a lot about, you know, the obvious things like risky sex, sexual violence, um, performance and enjoyment issues when you drink too much. But then I got interested in like, like, how do we actually like have sex? Like, how does the body get excited? What's going on in the brain? So that's what I've been researching. So in their 1966 book called Human Sexual Response, Masters and Johnson described the four stages of the sexual response cycle. So those are excitement, plateau, orgasm, and resolution. So sexual excitement in the brain stimulates increased blood flow to the genitals. So I'll talk more about that um, in a little bit. So during the plateau stage, the central nervous system fully engages and it directs messages of escalating enjoyment along the nerve endings in the genital region and then back to the brain's reward system. And this is like a cycle. So the nerve endings and the reward system continue to communicate. And after a bit, it results in a series of muscle contractions in 0.8 second increments. Deep relaxation follows an orgasm as the muscles relax and the heart rate slows. So there are actually many areas of the brain that are involved in sex, some of them being the limbic system, which is involved in memory and emotions, the hypothalamus, which is involved in unconscious body control, and the prefrontal cortex, which is involved in judgment and problem solving. Studies have shown that by the time we achieve orgasm, more than 30 areas of the brain are activated. So there isn't an orgasm center of the brain like we have a reward center. There are many, many areas that are involved. And although female and male orgasms are obviously different from each other, studies have actually shown that brain activity is very similar for both sexes. So I'm going to post some MRI images on the Soberpowered Instagram and Facebook accounts tomorrow so you can see like what's going on in the brain um, when we have an orgasm. So sex researchers, um, they had participants lie in an MRI machine and they asked them to stimulate themselves and bring themselves to orgasm. And then as they were orgasming, they imaged their brain. So that's how those studies work. So that's a really interesting job. That um, must be a fun, fun day at work to be a sex researcher. What's going on biologically? Um, there is a chemical in our brains called nitric oxide, and this is a messenger molecule that's synthesized by neurons. Um, so it has an important role in both male and female sexual behavior, and it regulates things like erection, ovulation, um, clitoral engorgement, and lubrication. So knockout studies in mice, so remember a knockout study is where they um, they knock out or remove the gene in the mice. So knockout studies have shown that disruption of the ability to synthesize nitric oxide by neurons results in the disappearance of male sexual behavior and female ovulation. So nitric oxide is essential for um, appropriate working sexual behavior. 
testosterone and estrogen levels both play a role in nitric oxide levels in the blood. And nitric oxide also stimulates the release of dopamine, which makes us feel good. So this is part of our reward pathway. Um, and this is just another um, evolutionary feature of being human. Um, so just like sleep feels good and eating feels good because they're essential to our survival, sex feels good because it's essential to the survival of the species and our, our own genes. So nitric oxide stimulates dopamine as well. So as we become sexually excited, neurons are stimulated to release nitric oxide into the blood, which travels through our circulation to the genitals. So what nitric oxide actually does is it releases the blood vessels, allowing the area to be engorged with blood. And I don't think I have to be more specific there. I think you guys all know what relaxing the blood vessels allows to happen for both sexes. So that is how we normally have sex. But when you're drinking, nitric oxide availability is actually affected by blood alcohol concentration. So at low levels of alcohol, um, nitric oxide synthesis is activated and there's an increased release of nitric oxide. In addition to lower inhibitions, you're also going to have more activated release of nitric oxide. So low levels of alcohol actually kind of promote sexual activity. However, at high levels of alcohol consumption and or for people who chronically consume alcohol, nitric oxide release is impaired. So remember, Nitric oxide is involved in relaxing the blood vessels in the genital region, so less nitric oxide would result in performance issues and difficulty achieving an orgasm because you need, you need a large amount of blood in that area to make things more sensitive and to perform correctly. So less nitric oxide, because there's so much alcohol in your system, will cause performance issues. So even though alcohol makes us want to have sex more and it lowers our inhibitions and it makes us more excited, low levels of alcohol kind of promote more release of nitric oxide. High levels really are not conducive to good sex. So high levels of alcohol are going to cause performance issues and difficulty having an orgasm. This doesn't mean that it happens to everybody, but you are more likely to have performance issues and difficulty orgasming if you drink heavily. So we know that alcohol is a central nervous system depressant. So this means that it increases the production of the neurotransmitter GABA. And you'll remember we spoke a lot about GABA in episode one. So if you missed that, um, go check that out. That was the episode where I talked about anxiety. So increased GABA production makes us feel relaxed, sleepy, and many other things, including reduced inhibitions, impaired judgment, slow reaction time, and it also affects our blood pressure. So I read an interesting study about moderation. Um, so scientists were trying to decide whether one glass of red wine a day is actually good for you. So what they found is that one alcoholic drink provides slight 
benefits to the heart and blood vessels, but it actually doesn't matter what type of alcohol it is. So it's not that, you know, red wine is super good for your heart. Any type of alcohol that you drink, if you have one drink, one standard drink, it will provide slight benefits to the heart and blood vessels. The study also found that having two or more drinks stresses the circulatory system. So if you repeatedly drink heavy, um, you are at risk for heart attack, stroke, or chronic high blood pressure. And the American Heart Association does not recommend that anyone start drinking to prevent heart disease. They suggest exercise and following a healthy diet instead. So really all I have to say to that study is take that moderation. So if excess alcohol raises our blood pressure, that is negatively affecting our circulation. And with a negative impact on circulation, you're going to have even more impaired ability um, to get the amount of blood that you need to the general area for good sexual performance and response. So there are several ways that alcohol negatively influences sex. And beyond the biology of it, alcohol, remember, it also impairs our judgment and um, slows our reaction time. And this really is not good for sex either. It makes things like risky sex and sexual violence more common. So a 2013 study looked at almost 2,000 sexual encounters from about 300 college women. And what they found was that the likelihood of using a condom decreased with increasing number of drinks. So the more alcohol you consume, the less likely you are to protect yourself during sex with a condom. Another interesting finding of the study was the number of sexual events involving alcohol. So women pretty much didn't drink when they were having sex with their partners. However, alcohol was involved in almost 90% of sexual encounters with a stranger. So I'm going to post this chart also on the Sober Powered Instagram and Facebook pages, but you'll see a very clear trend going up. So from established romantic partner through a new partner, ex-boyfriend, friend, acquaintance, and stranger, um, alcohol is involved in sex with people that you normally wouldn't have sex with. So they found that 30% of sexual events with an ex-boyfriend involved alcohol, which I thought was really interesting. A little bit over 50% of sexual events with a friend involved alcohol. And it looks like 75% of sexual encounters with an acquaintance also involved alcohol. I read another study from 2016 that surveyed men and women about their experiences with alcohol and marijuana um, in terms of sexual encounters. So I'm just going to talk about the alcohol-specific findings. Uh, marijuana is not something that I'm really that interested in, um, but I will 
have the study linked in my sources. So if you're interested in reading more about that, there's a lot of information about marijuana and sex in the study. So what they found is that some participants reported that while drinking, they have a willingness to do anything, say things that they would normally not say, and say yes to people regarding sexual behavior that maybe they normally wouldn't have sex with. One female participant said, when I'm drinking, I want to do anything. I'm up for anything. Not thinking, all right, this is probably not going to be good the next day. But in the moment, you're not worried about any of that stuff. A male participant said sex is more riskier with alcohol. Who cares about protection or whatever? You don't think about safety a lot when you're drunk. You just don't think about it sometimes until the next day. And then you're like, oh shit, did I have unprotected sex? Of all the participants, um, both male and female, the most commonly reported feeling after drunk sex was regret. One female participant said, you might wake up next to someone you never intended on doing anything with just because you didn't have control and you were drinking so much. I was actually the next day thinking, what did I do? A male participant said, oh, so much regret with alcohol. Sometimes I hook up with girls I wouldn't normally have while sober. With alcohol, there's lots of regret, lots of embarrassment. So alcohol lowers our inhibitions in a negative way with alcohol. So you may have sex with people that you normally wouldn't have sex with. You may not use protection because it doesn't seem very important. So I looked at another um, risky sex study, and they had something really interesting that they talked about. So they talked about um, how risky sexual behavior operates through a continuum of influence. So there are five effects of alcohol within this continuum, and you know they gradually escalate as you go through levels of drunkenness. The first stage of the continuum of influence is alcohol affects young people's assessment of a person's sexual attractiveness. So you may find someone attractive while you're drinking that sober you wouldn't necessarily be that attracted to. So that's going to allow you to engage in sex with this person when normally you probably wouldn't if you're not that attracted to them. The second Stage is alcohol is used as an excuse for socially unacceptable behavior. The third is increased confidence and lowering of inhibition. So again, this promotes risky sexual behavior because you feel better about yourself. And if your inhibitions are lowered, you're worried less about poor body image or you know what's right and wrong, condom use, safety, all of those things. The fourth and fifth parts of the continuum I thought were actually really interesting. So stage four is impaired judgment in accurately recognizing and controlling a potentially risky situation. And stage five was complete loss of control, memory loss, and blackout. So I think the most important one here is um, stage four where you're not able to accurately recognize a potentially risky situation. So this puts women especially in more danger for things like sexual violence. It's a fact that women who drink are more likely to be victims of sexual assault, and the risk increases with 
increasing number of drinks per day. So the more you drink, the more likely sexual violence becomes. And about half of acquaintance sexual assaults occur when one or both individuals have been drinking. So in the words of um, the Maryland Collaborative to Reduce College Drinking and Related Problems, they said sexual assaults were more likely to occur in settings where alcohol was consumed, such as parties and bars. Potential perpetrators seek out such settings as a way of finding vulnerable individuals. Alcohol should be seen as a risk factor for, not a cause of, unwanted sexual advances and other forms of sexual assault. Being extremely drunk puts you at risk for sexual violence or unwanted sexual advances. Um, So alcohol is really dangerous. And I know it's easy to think that would never happen to me. But the more we drink, the more likely it is for something really scary to happen. So our again, our judgment is impaired. And we are unable to accurately recognize a risky situation. So I have read either in Quitlet books or on Facebook groups of people that have done crazy things. They've got in the car with people they don't even know to go to a party where they don't even know anyone because they just want to continue drinking. And we, the women listeners and myself, we have to remember that Um, There are scary people out there, and we really need to protect ourselves. So I am super thankful that I don't drink anymore because I was a drunk woman, you know, wandering around sometimes. And every time I was drunk like that, out with a friend, and my husband wasn't with me, I was putting myself at risk for something really scary. So I want to end the podcast by talking about my own experience with drunk sex. So I consider myself extremely fortunate because I met my husband um, like about a month, maybe even less after I started drinking. So I was never really in a position to to go out, get drunk and hook up with anybody um, because I was with my husband. So I was really just having like husband and wife sex. I wasn't I wasn't engaging in, in any risky sex. Um, so again, I know that I, I am an extreme minority here. But for sex, I did notice um, that I had issues. Um, I had issues like focusing on sex. I had issues enjoying sex. And it was nearly impossible for me to have an orgasm. So now I've learned that Alcohol lowered the available nitric oxide that was circulating through my blood. My blood circulation was also impaired um, through increased blood pressure from heavy drinking. And all of those things combined made less blood available to the area that it needed to go to for me to have an orgasm. So drunk sex was never really like that enjoyable for me. My husband didn't really like it either. Um, I was kind of like sloppy and distracted. I remember one time we were, we went to Foxwoods Casino in Connecticut. I think this was the first time that we ever stayed overnight together. Um, We weren't living together and we partied and, and like got wicked drunk. And then we went back to the room and we were having sex and I was blasting asking Alexandria 
And if you don't know them, go look them up. They're metal. So I was blasting um, metal to set the sex vibes. And I started singing at the top of my lungs and like dancing a little bit. And I'm trying to have sex, you know, with my husband. And I'm so distracted and I can't like really enjoy it because my body is not in the right space. So we just had a lot of sexual encounters like that. And eventually on the nights that we drank heavily or that I drank heavily and he drank moderately, we just didn't have sex. So because I was drinking heavily multiple times a week, our sex life really did suffer during the seven years that I drank. And now that I'm sober, it was it was a bit weird to to like get into sober sex, like body image issues come back and you're worried that you know, he's finally gonna recognize how fat you are, even though he's seen you naked for years. It feels, it feels uncomfortable, and you're unsure and shy. But once you give sober sex a chance, it is actually the best sex. So drunk sex is sloppy, and it's not as enjoyable. And your body has trouble getting into it. Um, You might have performance issues. So you feel less confident about your you know, sexual abilities, and you might have trouble having an orgasm, which makes you like hyper focus in on achieving that, and then you're not as focused on your partner's enjoyment. So, drunk sex really is just like the worst, and sober sex is the best sex. You are present for it, your body is ready to go, your mind is ready to go, you're not distracted, you're not blacked out. And just everything about it is so much better. Um, So I hope this episode was helpful. I hope that it was cool to learn more about, like, how do we actually have an orgasm and how does alcohol interfere with that ability? As always, please, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. It helps me out so much if you guys leave me a review. If you do, please either DM me or tag me on your Instagram story so that I can personally thank you and I'll talk to you guys next week. I appreciate you. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips i'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so so inspiring i'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking in fact it's very much the opposite and no matter what your relationship was with alcohol life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober new episodes come out every tuesday you can listen to happiest sober podcast wherever you get your podcasts